Chapter 10 of Mr. Wicker's Window. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. This recording is by Arthur Piantidosi. The learning of magic was by no means easy. The days went by with Chris's mornings and afternoons spent in Mr. Wicker's study, reading books too heavy for him to lift, learning incantations by heart, and how to bland simple formulae over the fire. He had told his master at once he bought Simon Gosler, his hoard of money, and his hiding places for it. Mr. Wicker, though interested and attentive, gave Chris the impression that what he had been told was not new to him. In time, Chris was allowed to run about the large vegetable garden and climb the orchard trees, but he was told that the moment had not yet come when he could wander at will in early Georgetown. Chris had tried it once, rebellious and bored at the now familiar ground, but was it as if an invisible wall kept him in the confines of Mr. Wicker's land? A slippery glass wall he could feel but not see, and in which he could discover no chink in which to put his toe to find the height of it. So there was nothing left to do but work as fast and as well as he could. There are rumors that Cleggett Shoe is preparing a ship, the Venture, for a voyage east. There is much activity about his ship. It is laying in stalls, so I am informed. You must get it forward with all haste, for the ship is a fast one, faster than the Mirabelle. Chris therefore threw himself into all the preliminaries of his task. His head swam when he laid it on his pillow at night, and Becky Boozer would stand with her hands on their barrel-sized hips, shaking her hat until its plums and roses madly over her boys shadowed eyes and weary air for chris was now as accepted a member of the household as mr wicker himself and he had not been for the robust guffaws of ned silly the ministrations of the now devoted becky chris's days would have been tedious indeed one afternoon when he had returned after a rest to mr wicker's study he saw that there was something new in the room a bowl with a goldfish in it stood on the table but mr wicker was not to be seen now, however, Chris was not the boy he had been in a few weeks before. He went straight to the bowl and addressed the fish. Sir, he said to the goldfish, I am here. What should all I do first? The goldfish might have almost been said to have changed its expression and smiled. Before, brushing a drop of water from his sleeve, Mr. Wicker stood beside the table, smiling. How you've improved, my boy, he had exclaimed. It is now time for you to try. This is as good a change as any. All at once, at the immediate prospect of really changing himself into some other form, Chris became frightened and his hands grew cold. Oh, sir, do you really think I should know how? He cried, gazing up into the face of his master. Suppose I change and can't change back? Mr. Rooker shook his hand with a smile. Never fear, Christopher. You shall know enough to start. And if you are reasonably sure, you will be quite able to change back again. If it gets stuck, I can help you. Come now, he said, putting out his hand to touch Chris's shoulder in a reassuring way. Here you go. Remember Incantation 73, Book 1. It's just stared at this fishbowl, empty now. You remembered Incantation 73, Book 1, quite well. But his knees began to tremble, and he stood as if paralyzed. Mr. Wicker waited patiently beside him for a few moments for Chris to get up his courage. Then as nothing happened, with a voice like a whip, Mr. Wicker said, Start at once! Chris was so startled at his usual gentle imagination's tone that without further thought or effort on his part, he began intoning to himself the words and sounds of Incantation 73, Book 1. 
As he went on, concentrating on becoming a goldfish in the bowl on the table, he became aware of a humming sensation in his head. This grew until it seemed that all his body was filled with a strange new vibration, tingling with his feet to the crown of his head. The sensation spread faster and faster. His head swam, and he felt faint and a little sick, but he persisted through the final words. Somewhere deep inside him there seemed a sudden lurch, and then a wonderfully cool, liquid sensation. He felt buoyant and rested and looked about, only to get a wavery glimpse of Mr. Wicker, looking more than a reflection in his circus mirror than himself. With a twist of his body, it was floated over to see that the room looked the same, and rolling back, he could see that Mr. Wicker was peering in at him from above and smiling broadly. "'Good Lord, I'm a fish!' Chris said, and he heard that words ruffled as they came back to him through the side of his bowl. Well, what do you know? he thought, not without a feeling of pride, and commenced experimenting with his tail and fins with such enthusiasm and delight that some little time elapsed before Mr. Wicker's voice boomed close by. Better come back now. Take it slowly, son. Seventy-four, book one. The Return. The strange, strange sensations flooded Chris as he made the change back to his own shape. But when he stood once more on his own two feet on the carpet in Mr. Wicker's study, he was pleased and happy despite his weakness. Mr. Wicker took hold of his arm and helped him into a chair, taking a small vial from the cupboard at the end of the room. He dropped a pellet into it and handed it to Chris. This will seem to smoke, sniff the smoke and drink the liquid that remains, he said. Chris does as he was told, and his momentary weakness vanished, leaving him quieted and as strong as usual. There, now, Mr. Wicker said, rubbing his hands with immense satisfaction. That was not so bad, was it? A peculiar feeling, but as you do come to do it more often and more quickly, a change will come more rapidly, and in time you will be scarcely aware of the sensations at all. He looked at his pupil with pride. You will do famously, my boy. In another moment, when you have rested, we shall try another one. From that time, Chris became increasingly proficient, and as his ability grew, he began to find magic a wonderful game, which he and Mr. Wicker played together. They played this new and unique form of hide-and-seek, each one taking a new shape, turn by turn, as a challenge to the other's power of his imagination and detection. Soon, Chris could turn himself into a limited number of things, for even Mr. Wicker's magic had a limit. A singing bird in a cage, a part of the pattern in the brocaded curtains, or a section of design in the Indian rug. The blue bottle fly or the goldfish became as easy as saying, Eureka! And on one occasion, Chris turned himself into the chair on which Mr. Wicker was sitting, and then walked across the room on his four wooden legs, carrying Mr. Wicker, who laughed more heartily than he had in years at this display on the part of a student. <laughs> One day, Chris wandered alone into the dusty shop. The time had nearly come when he could walk about in early Georgetown and know that it would still be the Georgetown of the past, and not the one into which he had been born. This afternoon, a rainy one, he had tired of changing himself into and out of objects. Mr. Wicker was busy, and Becky Boozer had gone off to market, accompanied by Ned Silly. Chris felt somewhat forlorn and lonely, as any boy might, and kissed a piece of wood ahead of him into the darkness of the shop. Going up to the shop window, he stood with his hands thrust into his pocket, staring glumly first out the window, and then, idly, at the three objects he'd once longed to contemplate, the Mirabelle and her bottle, the coil of heavy rope, and the carved wooden figure of the Nubian boy. 
Without interest at first, Chris stared at the little negro boy, so gaily dressed in full red trousers, gilded jacket, and white turban. The figure's shoes, carved in some eastern style, had curved up pointing toes. Then all at once the idea came to Chris. If he was to be a magician, could he make this boy come to life? The prospect excited him wildly, for he had had no companion with whom to laugh and share jokes. Grown people, however gay and kind, were never quite the same. The more he thought of it, the more Chris knew it had to be attempted. He squatted on his haunches, examined the carved wooden figure attentively, and felt convinced that, once alive, the boy would be an ideal and happy companion. But how did one change inanimate to animate? Chris got up and stole back to Mr. Wicker's door. He heard the magician going up the spiral staircase to his room above, and after changing himself to a mouse to slip under the door and see that the room was really empty, Chris resumed his proper shape and opened the doors of the cupboard at the far end of the room. On its top shelf was Book Three, a book a foot thick and bound in heavy brass studded with semi-precious stones in the forms of signs and symbols. With difficulty, standing on tiptoe, Chris lifted it down and, placing it on the floor, turned over page after page. The afternoon, rainy before, increased in storm. Dusk came two hours before its time. Thunder snarled in the sky. At last, Chris found it. There were the words, and there the charm. Certain elements were to be mixed and poured at the proper time. He hurried, memorizing as he closed the book, and hoisted it once more to its high shelf. Looking about, he found the ingredients that had been listed, and in an empty vial poured first two drops of this, and then seventeen of that, and ran to heat it out the fire. Mr. Worker began moving about upstairs. The floorboards creaked, creak, creak, and still Chris could not leave until the potion fumed and glowed. After what seemed an endless time, amid a growing grind of thunder and an almost darkened room, the file in Chris's hand gave off an arching, rosy glow. Chris, his cheeks hot from excitement in the fire, tiptoed out just as Mr. Wicker's step creaked on the topmost tread of the spiral stair. With infinite caution, Chris closed the doors silently behind him and, running lightly forward, reached the figure of the Negro boy. The words came out, interrupted by peals of backs of thunder. The shop was black, except for the paler crescent of the bow window giving onto the street. The crash of thunder. All but drowning out his words, a boy shouted in the emptiness of the shop as he poured the rosy liquid on the figure made of wood. And then a Appalled at his audacity, Chris dropped the vial which splintered on the floor. Watching there in the darkness, he shook so with nerves that he had to kneel, for in the blackness lit only by the lightning in its own eerie glow, the wood was changing as he watched. It was as if the stiffness melted. Under his eyes, wooden folds of cloth became rich silk. Embroidery gleamed in its reality upon the coat, and oh, the face! The wooden grin loosened, the large eyes turned, the hand holding the hard bouquet of carved flowers moved, and let the bouquet fall. The feet of the boy twitched and shifted in their pointed shoes. Aghast, Chris remained frozen as the boys moved slowly, and the final of thunder seemed to split the sky apart. Outside, the rain poured down as if over some skyward dam. The Roy looked down at Chris with a radiant smile and put out his hand. I'll help you up, he said to the kneeling boy in front of him. I'm Amos. 
and as they turned, the light and the dark hands holding him firm, the firelight was streaming from the distant door, and Mr. Wicker waited. Mr. Wicker's Window, Chapter 10, End.